0: Hey, and welcome back to episode 25 of 52 Founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and this week I'm so excited to be joined by Che Wang, founder and CEO of Boxed, an online warehouse club that ships directly to consumers in two days or less. While Boxed's e-commerce model has seen much success, it's an internal operation that fascinates me the most. Che has been lauded in the press for his innovative approach to employee perks, especially in light of the rise of automation in his industry. He's one of the most inspiring leaders I've spoken to, and I'm so thrilled for you to hear his story all right well sherry thank you so much for being on my show i'm so excited to have you
1: hey thanks for uh thanks for having me it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a fun time
0: fellow blue jays you know so many of us now
1: <laughs> um <laughs> there are quite a few of us
0: I'm, I'm very I'm very honored. Uh, so start by telling us about how you came up with the idea for Boxing and what it is.
1: Yeah, so Box um, is an online warehouse club. So what does that mean? It means we ship uh, directly to your door in two days or, or less uh, all the stuff that you would find in your typical warehouse club offline. So, for example, large format uh, bounty paper towels, um, you know, cookies, uh, cleaning products, uh, diapers. So never just a small retail pack, always a large format wholesale pack uh no membership fees uh and delivered to your door unlike the brick and mortar clubs uh which consist of bj's costco and sam's club
0: yes definitely and i while i'm big fans of those i lament that i only ever have gone a few times in my life because they're usually inconvenient and i've never been a member so box is a godsend in that regard that i can just get you know all the things that i can't carry home from the supermarket
1: yeah no it's you're actually you're you're not uh uh Sorry, sorry to say you're actually not uh, that far off from the the general statistics of, of the shopper that goes into a warehouse club in that, you know, 60 percent of their members are actually boomers and seniors. So 60 percent. Um, and so we actually find that, yeah, on paper, it seems like we, we may compete a lot. Um, but when it comes to the actual demographic, we actually have virtually no overlapping customer base with the uh, with the mainstream clubs.
0: Well, I don't doubt that just because my user behavior right is so different. I'm so used to e-commerce and I'm lazy and I yeah. <laughs> and I don't have a car. So I, I don't have a car. I live in a city. Um, I've lived in cities since college and I like going to Costco. I don't even know where the nearest one would be in Chicago.
1: Yeah. So we find even after, um, you know, even after like kind of the older uh, millennial kind of, you know, eventually moves out to the burbs and we don't, we're not sure if that's that will be the trend. But, um, even when they do, they usually bring those ha- buying habits with them, right? Like I- I'm the mm-hmm. same way. So I have everything delivered now. And so now that I have two kids and, and we are out in the suburbs, um, you know, the weekends, I try to spend time with my kids instead of saying that like, Oh, you know, today's the day where we can spend three hours, you know, running errands, you know? Um, yes, so those-, definitely. Those-, those habits definitely stick with us, even though kind of the living, uh, kind of environment changes.
0: I love that. That's what you said. Basically, all the best startups I see always by time. Um, And that's what I what I love. Um, So how did you come up with the idea?
1: Um, So it's funny, uh, I would say, um, because this is this is not our first venture, um, kind of, I guess, in a half kind of uh, um, uh, a very kind of natural, hey, I have a problem type of way, and half like, okay, let's study the industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'll come back to the original question in just a second. So what I find is that when you talk to a lot of first-time entrepreneurs, they solve a problem that they have, which is great. It is the crux of every kind of big, awesome business. But what they often get wrong is that the problem is only shared by maybe... 500,000 other folks in the country, or maybe a million. So if you're solving for that, and then especially if you start looking down funnel, um, you know, a million people suddenly turns to maybe 20,000 paying customers, and you can't build a a large scalable business like that. So uh, for me, the micro was really that uh, I grew up in the burbs, uh, moved into the city and just didn't have a car just like you to get to a warehouse club. And so I remember just calling my mom uh, every weekend, you know, she would, she's still in Jersey and I'd be like, mom, you know, don't you want to come see your son, you know, Um, (laughs) and also bring the toilet paper because it's $3 a roll at Dwayne Reed, you know? Um, Uh, Nothing like Manhattan prices. (laughs) Exactly. And I just thought there's no way this could cost this much. Uh, And I just found you couldn't buy the wholesale pack uh, online three, four years ago. And so, um, so basically I just solved a problem that I thought other folks might have. You know, people like me who knew about shopping uh, in in bulk and stocking up, but uh, didn't have the physical means to get to a warehouse club, a.k.a. a car. Um, What we found later on was that now that the company uh, has scaled kind of exponentially since those early days, um, it wasn't just the physical means. It's also the time and patience. So you might have a car but you just probably don't have the three hours to to make it out to your average kind of warehouse club run. So that was the actual problem that we had that we solved. On the other hand, we looked at the opportunity as a business um, and we just found that, you know, warehouse clubs, the three major ones are going to do about $200 billion of top line this year. Um, 2% of that $200 200 billion is online, and virtually zero percent is traded on on a mobile device. Uh, and so, if you think about that, I mean, you know, literally, I don't think anyone would take the under if we did an over under bet on zero percent uh, or or it being zero percent over the next five years. So, I think there's a good business case and a and a real problem to solve.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, and so, you know. Fox has gotten a lot of press lately for its amazing perks and none of which are the Silicon Valley type where you see, you know, a ping pong table or I think it's a different kind of perk. So I'd love to hear about the decision of, um, as to why you did that and and why it's really important to you.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, I think it's, there's different ways to, to, to look at culture. And I think some of the stuff is like kind of window dressing, like in terms of, you know, ping pong tables, this or that, you know, and and I think it's great, you know, it it is a good cherry on top, but you actually won't see uh, much of that or or almost any of that here at Box. I think, you know, at the end of the day, people want to to have meaningful work um, where they're passionate about um, and that they can make a difference about, you know, and so um, with that said, though, you know, how do you kind of make that even better. And I think it's just having folks feel like they're part of a team. And for us, that team spans from engineers all the way to folks making 13 bucks an hour, picking off the, the uh, fulfillment center floor. So how do you galvanize that um, that culture and that team? Um, uh, I don't know if, if the way we're doing it is the best way, but it's, it's working for us. So um, it's the reason why we're doing it.
0: And I guess more lately, you said, uh, it was the decision not to let go staff with the new automation and to really invest in them. And that was something that I think a lot of people found remarkable and, and myself included, just because it might not obviously correlate to your bottom line, but I think long-term it actually could. Is that where you kind of see that going as well?
1: Absolutely. And so, um, I think I, I, I was, uh, Oh, I, no, I can't say misquoted, but I guess quoted and then they got truncated in the end. Uh, like by typical it's media. The, yeah. Well, it it's you know, it was it was something like, uh, you know, it's not the smartest thing we've ever done for the P and L and then I think the rest of the sentence was like in the short run. Um, <laughs> because when you think about it, like automation allows us to be a lot more kind of uh uh economically efficient when it comes to our unit economics. Um and with that the business will will grow. We'll attract more funding. The business will grow. Um, and then we can hire more and more folks. Because it's not like, you know, the business is not growing and this is all the folks we need in perpetuity for Box. It's just our way to, to spur uh, additional growth and eventually to hire more people. Um, and so that's kind of our spin on it. But at the same time, though... We do fundamentally believe that, you know, you don't like we can have discount prices on all our, our of our items, but you still have to value people and you can't discount people because, you know, you've been into stores uh, where you can just tell the people working there, like, do not want to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. That's probably like 95 percent of retail. But when you go into certain stores, when you tell like even a Trader Joe's, you go in there and you're like, wow, people, you know, they're not. They're not like, wow, I'd rather be here than spending time with my kids, but they're enjoying kind of their their hours Definitely. there. Um, yeah. And you can kind of feel that as a customer. And so for us, you might not see that uh, face-to-face because we don't have a physical store, um, but you see it in how the boxes are packed. You see it in the customer service interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, you kind of see it in the Glassdoor reviews because folks are really educated now when it comes to where they shop and they Google, Google you before they shop with you. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I think all that combines into, um, uh, hopefully ROI and ROI positive, uh, kind of, uh, formula, um, uh, down the road.
0: Definitely. And I think people, um, I think CEOs in particular, uh, underestimate the value of retention. You know, you think you can let go of people, but if there's so much costs, in a different in addition to just morale against your other employees and then you know having to find new people and if you have a high turnover rate I think it's going to really take a toll later on so i I'm I, really I, um a big fan of this
1: I totally agree with you and sometimes you know especially for the folks in the audience like you know when they when you look at a business if you look at their p l and you look at you know their balance sheets there's lines for everything uh well, it seems like everything right but where's the line for uh Crappy morale or great morale, mm-hmm. right? Like, where does that slot in? And and I think there's all these things that that all all these things that you actually cannot spreadsheet out, right? That just kind of happen. Um, that can benefit or actually can destroy the business. And so, yeah, I I um uh, you know I so obviously I'm a huge uh fan of of treating folks right, and and uh and to your point, um we we have virtually no turnover. So, um in the in, with regards to corporate employees, like probably less than 10 in the history of our company have left.
0: Wow. And
1: so we actually have the opposite problem. So um, there's no turnover in the offices. So we actually have to keep refreshing the pool because there's no stock coming back into the option pool because no one's leaving. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of the opposite problem.
0: That's funny. Uh, all right. So now let's dive into you. So you mentioned you're Uh-oh. from New Jersey. <laughs> <Eve. laughs>
1: <Is> that... <laughs> yeah. Is that so... where... okay? Okay.
0: Um, yeah, so that's... that's where you grew up?
1: Uh, That's where I grew up. So spent time in Ohio uh, and Baltimore, but I would say the uh, the the bulk of it uh, was in uh, central New Jersey, the cradle of civilization.
0: And Baltimore was just for Hopkins or were you there as a kid?
1: Uh, Baltimore, I was there as a kid. And so um, it's funny because when my when my uh, parents kind of uh, immigrated to this country, um, you know, my mom was a teacher uh, back in Taiwan, but gave that up, came here. Uh, Both my parents didn't really speak the language. And so my mom actually started over and was, uh, was a, a, a cashier at one of the kind of like um, uh, Chinese fast food restaurants across the street from Johns Hopkins University Hospital. Um, I don't think oh, it's wow. there uh, anymore Yeah, And, it, you know, she would always say as I grew up, like, you know, like, you know, the American dream would be like my kids going to Hopkins one day. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, prioritizing education allowed us, allowed us to skip a generation and I eventually went. So it was a big moment for our, for our family when, when, uh, when I moved into, uh, into the dorms, um, uh, many, many years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, I can imagine. And so why, um, did your parents or what did you, were you born in Taiwan or did your parents kind of emigrate here before that?
1: Uh, yeah, so I was born there, but, uh, I was here at, you know, when I was like, I think a year and a half old, or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've been here just about my entire life.
0: And what did your dad do for a living?
1: Um, so my dad was actually in um, uh, in textiles um, back uh, back in Taiwan, but again, gave everything up for me and my sister, and um, and came here and was actually largely unemployed for many many years. So uh, growing up, it was not um, you know, it was not an easy kind of childhood or or kind of easy when it comes to the economics of our of our household so
0: mm-hmm. i think that's interesting i hear that a lot with entrepreneurs um and some of them are like you know we grew up with not a lot and it made me not have a fear to start a business because i've already you know i'm used to not having a lot of things do you feel like that was the case for you
1: oh absolutely i i i actually do not know if 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 I could run this business or this type of business, if I didn't have that upbringing, I think, um, the value of every penny and every, every cent counting, uh, in a business like ours, um, that is something that, you know, I grew up with from day one. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it comes very naturally. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's become a part of me and, uh, and it's become a part of box. Uh, mm. so recently I'd say, uh, you know, even, you know, it's it's put me, it's gotten me in some hot water, you know, with the folks once in a while. So uh, instead of moving, we just moved into a, a brand new big office um, and we started outgrowing it already. Uh, And I told everyone, like, we'd have a solution on Monday. And so everyone thought I was announcing another move to another office. But instead, we replaced everyone's desk with a smaller desk uh, on Monday morning. Um, I thought it'd be a, 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 um, you know, kind of a tongue in cheek way to say, you know, we're here for a while, but uh, people hated it. So I realized, uh, (laughs) I realized maybe it's only me sometimes that appreciates it. But, uh, (laughs) but it's a part of me now. It's a part of us now.
0: And so did you grow up going to these discount stores like Sam's and Costco?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So every other weekend, you know, when I was in, uh, um, when I was living in Jersey, we would go to, we'd borrow a friend's membership card. Uh, I'm sorry uh, to, I gotta, I gotta apologize to the price club. Uh, We used (laughs) to borrow someone's kind of business membership and and we would sneak into the price club uh, every other weekend uh, with my parents. And it was interesting because, um, um, you know, it's kind of come full circle, uh, circle, and I recently... Had the pleasure of meeting uh, one of the founders of the Price Club and, and um, you know, showed him, like, our, our fulfillment center with all the automation, robotics, and really, um, it brought back a ton of memories for him, too. He was like, you know, this really reminds me of our early days. Like, you know, people thought, we, you know, what we were doing didn't make sense. Um, and then, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, it started to. So, um, so hopefully, that'll be the same for the story of Box.
0: Yes, definitely. I think that's really interesting. It's great that you get to meet them, though. Um, and so when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Interesting. Um, what did I want to be? Or what did what did uh, what did my parents want me to be? So, you know, I had like a, <laughs> let's a, say, a let's like, say tiger both. mom. So <laughs> so mom wanted me to be like a doctor um, uh, um, uh, uh, and probably an, an investment banker or a lawyer, probably in that order. Uh, and so I ended up, uh, becoming, uh, um, an attorney early on in my professional career. Oh, wow. Um, okay. But, yeah. I would, I was not cut out for it. I lasted like a little under 30 months. Um, <laughs> after taking the bar, after going to law school, after taking the bar, um, you know, I had to break to my parents was like, this is not for me, mom. And, uh, we're, we're, uh, I'm quitting this awesome job to, uh, to go make video games with my friends, you know that was our first venture, and you could tell the shock. She to this day, she still asks me like, "When am I going to get a real job?" And so um, I'm like, "Come on, mom, you know, cut me some slack." You're here, like, you like, know? "I have
0: hundreds of employees." But,
1: but, <laughs> uh, um, but especially uh, going to know, Hopkins,
0: I feel like it must have been such a tease. At least it was for my parents. They said like, "You're going to be a doctor?"
1: No. Yeah. <laughs> Well, especially, you know, when you go to Hopkins, I would, you know, I was an econ major. So you had all the engineering folks like saying, like, you know, you had the engineering. So for the folks out there, you have an engineering school at Hopkins and also a school of arts and sciences. But all my engineering friends would say, oh, school of arts and crafts. And so it was kind of like, you know, if you weren't an engineer, then you were kind of like, you know, just uh, boondoggling around, the, around campus. which is partially right. But, uh, but still, it was hard work.
0: I I mean I was a, I started off as an engineer and then switched to international relations, which was which no one knows is our biggest major. Um,
1: because of IR, really,
0: yeah, because
1: oh, of science. Oh, totally makes sense. It yeah. I was was you would hear that a lot. It was just actually I think it do, actually does not surprise me that, that IR <laughs> or econ like, and it's also for me it's like I, I used to love seeing um, the, uh, the 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 ex premeds in econ yeah. major classes. I'm kind of like, oh, (laughs) I was like joining the dark side, you know?
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, (laughs) So when did you first start thinking about entrepreneurship as a profession? Was it because you hated being a lawyer or was it earlier than that?
1: Earlier than that. I I think it's always been a part of me. Um, Like I could even recall like times in like elementary school when I used to like sell candy to, to, uh, to kids on the block, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, like it's always, I've always had that bug, um, and then I think the the circumstances in which I started my professional career at the law firm um, were not ideal. So I started my career on September 15, 2008, about 12 hours. Great after time. Lehman what do you Brothers. mean? <laughs> yeah, literally 12 hours after Lehman Brothers collapsed and their office oh, was wow. a block over from ours. Um, oh my and God. so, you know, we I, I started like I still remember to this day, like new suits, new shoes, new briefcase showed up uh, within 24 hours. And. I don't know if the folks listening will remember this, but back in September, October, November, December of 2008, it wasn't just that the economy could be potentially screwed. Like there were actually op-ed pieces about like, is this the end of capitalism? You know, mm-hmm. and it's like what a way to start your career. Um, and you know, going through that grind taught me a lot of hard work. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I I think um, I saw for better or worse, I saw like everything kind of ripped bare and i saw like there were no friendly faces there was no one trying to help you back then and so oh yeah um i saw the underbelly of the entire industry um and i just you know i didn't want to be a part of it so so within 30 months i was uh making video games and living the dream
0: so tell us about that first company
1: yeah it was a few folks from actually one from hopkins and another one i had uh uh grown up with um and then um uh I was kind of helping them part time, and then as the, our our first game on on this crazy device called the iPhone 2G was about to launch, uh, they asked if I wanted to join full time and be the CEO. and And it was just the three of us. And you know, you would think, oh, what a glamorous job! You go straight from an associate in a law firm to being a CEO. It was just the three of us on lawn chairs in his mom's attic. <laughs> and so, uh, so, so I thought I had definitely done kind of crazier things in life and why not give it a try so uh, i was young um you know not a ton of bills to pay so uh i did it and so we capitalized on what we saw was a trend of folks using smartphones to play games you know back then it was all about mafia wars farm bill on on facebook but no one mm-hmm. was really playing games on their iphone just yet um and we we thought that was going to change so luckily we rode that wave
0: yeah. And so what happened, you know, you started then multiple companies and how do you go from, you know, that type of company to creating a culture at Box? What kind of things did you want to do differently? What did you want to do the same? Uh, and what did you learn? Yeah,
1: I, so I learned a ton, you know, and I actually learned a ton of what not to do throughout the, our first ride. So yeah. after we founded <laughs> the company, we, um, we, uh, we raised, uh, we raised uh, uh, money for the company um, you know, actually, so rewinding back, um, we made the game, no one played it, uh, overnight one night though, uh, Apple featured it on the front page of iTunes across the entire world. Like it was on the front page of most countries across the, across the entire world, um, Wow! started crashing our servers. It uh game did well. Um, long story short, we ended up raising money. Uh, it wasn't as easy as we thought it would be. Um, uh grew the company and eventually were acquired by um uh Zynga uh, about six or eight months before the IPO. So oh, wow. rode Good the Zinga IP yeah, yeah, rode the Zynga IPO up um and then rode it like the Titanic all the way down to like a dollar eighty five a share. <laughs> so throughout that whole experience I learned more importantly what not to do. You know? And so um you know I, I just felt like I took those lessons, uh, grabbed all the co founders together again. And then we started this company. Um, and I would so say... the same
0: team as you had at Asterape.
1: Yeah. So first, uh, you know, four co-founders all worked together there. Um, and then probably our first five or six employees all worked together there as well. So um, it was kind of getting the band back together.
0: Awesome. I think that's really interesting. Uh, and so, you know, when you're picking co-founders, especially one that you said you knew from undergrad, how do you make sure that business remains business and you kind of pick the right people, regardless of if you're friends or not.
1: Oh, that's a, that's a question. I think, um, I can only say what we've experienced. Um, and I would say there's a ton of folks out there that say like, don't start companies with your friends. Um, I would not be in that camp, but I would also now working with them professionally at this level for, maybe almost eight years now. Um, I, I, uh, I also have, um, or seven or eight years, um, feels like 80 years already. Um, (laughs) but I I feel like, um, uh, there's a ton of lessons to be learned. Uh, so, uh, you know, for the folks out there, um, I recommend it, but just be a hundred percent, um, kind of realistic in the, in the inevitable result of, of, you guys not being as kind of as socially close of friends as you were. It's just a case mm-hmm. of spending like almost every waking hour together for seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need to go out and have a drink anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we we like see each other all day every day. Yes, um, the good is that we trust each other. Um, I don't need to ask them what they're doing. I don't. They can go into meetings. I just hundred percent. Like there is so much trust there. Um, the other side of it is that, like I said the downside is that, you know, we just, we rarely hang out anymore. So, um, so yeah. So uh, I guess in that way, we've become more like family than, uh, than, than kind of like social friends. And so, yes. Yeah. I, I don't know if that sounds terrible or if that's No, that's I, just, I think uh, it sounds <laughs> honest, which
0: is great. Uh, and then finally, before we get to my fun, fun questions, I want to hear Uh-oh, about okay. why, why, why New York to start a company? Is it just because you're from there? Or do you see something about New York that makes it a great place to start a company?
1: That's actually a really good question. I feel like, you know, it was out of convenience. You know, we were from the area. It's where our early network was from. Three out of the four co-founders were from the area. So it was just out of convenience. I actually think like a lot of things that have happened to us at Box, it ended up being a very fortuitous kind of lucky event um, or lucky choice. um, Because, you know, like companies like ours where you have physical fulfillment centers uh, and you pick stuff, pack stuff, ship stuff it is, it was not in vogue even though we had a great win under our belt with our last company it was not in vogue uh on sand hill road out on the west coast um folks had just thought you know e-commerce was over uh and you know w- along with 1.0 e-commerce 1.0 and there just wasn't a lot of opportunity here anymore um so ironically enough on the east coast uh it it was a lot friendlier the funds were a lot friendlier for companies and business models like ours um mm-hmm. and um and became you know um I, what I thought was might be the better coast for, for, for a company like ours. And so it's the reason why you start looking at some of the largest e-commerce exits ever between, um, or, or yeah, you know, even the last two between Chewy and Jet, they were both based on the East coast. Um, Mm -hmm. so I do think the East coast, when it comes to hard e-commerce, uh, might be better if not just as good as, as the West coast.
0: Great. All right, so now our few fun questions to round out the interview. So what are some other New York City startups that you really love?
1: Um, obviously managed by Q. You know, Dan, you know, I'm giving Dan a plug. You know, he's a fellow at Blue Jay. And so anyone who treats their employees well, um, I'm a huge fan of. So so mm-hmm. so absolutely have to give a shout out to them. Do you use uh, them
0: for office cleanings?
1: Uh we did, and now our office is too big and too complex. And so uh oh. we actually do it uh in-house. Sorry, Dan, if you're listening. Um, he knows, yeah, he hates me for it. But uh um the uh, um the other other companies I would say, um, I really like uh Blue Apron. Um mm-hmm. you know, obviously again, plug in a uh um uh someone I knew from high school, but um I think their business is growing like crazy and, and yeah. potentially will be one of those kind of flag bearers of, of New York City tech. Uh um, so I love what th- what they're doing as well. Um and, yeah, I would say those two off the top of my mind. But there's, there's a ton of others. I just think we we get covered less in Silicon Valley, but still a lot of interesting things out, out here on the East.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, and so outside of e-commerce, what other areas of tech do you see taking off in 2017?
1: Interesting. Um, actually, can I – so actually – I'll come back to that question in just one second, but it's not that like e-commerce has taken off. A little bit it has taken off, but I think it's been there. Like it's not been exacerbated, but it's been you know e-commerce has seemed bigger, like a bigger opportunity than it actually is because of the dearth of folks that were funded four or five years ago to start e-commerce businesses. So when mm-hmm. you come to private companies that are venture backed that own their own fulfillment centers, there literally is probably a handful. Li- mm-hmm. like literally across across the state, so now that retail is undergoing this huge kind of uh, time of duress um and distress um there's not a lot of private e commerce companies that's, and so that's why you see all these exit values so gigantic i think um mm-hmm. so but um outside of that I, I definitely i think you know i i just think how can ai and and uh you know especially autonomous cars um not be the future you know i think I think AR would be is probably a little bit more powerful than VR because um, you don't have to stick your face in a screen. <laughs> you know, like AR is just like you're just augmenting what's out there already. Um, but I think when it comes to autonomous cars, I mean, it's not if, it's when. And when it happens, like the folks that are powering the actual uh, solution, like the actual cars and the software around it, and also the companies that will kind of, that will that will actually take advantage of how that's going to change the entire economy of the country um, are really well positioned. So I think, um, yeah, I think that th- th- those technologies are really powerful. There's a few plays on the East coast, but sorry, I didn't answer the question hundred percent, but in general, those are the, uh, those are the trends that I really like.
0: No, I think it's really interesting, especially with your business and we were talking about the automation before. Um, I think we're only starting to scrape the surface and I, I mean, I'm a very bullish on it, so I'm excited to see where it goes. And and finally, if you could interview one founder, who would you most want to interview, and why?
1: Um, it depends, right? It depends. So, would you have the truth serum? And because, like, um, I feel like I'm pretty upfront and open and transparent in interviews. But sometimes, you know, you talk to you, you hear interviews, and you're just like, yeah, he's not. That's like the party line, you know? Oh, I like um, that. Yeah, so, if you could,
0: if you could force them to be truthful. <laughs>
1: Okay, so if you could like give them the truth serum, then I would oh man. Um m- gut instinct says Elon Musk, uh, but he's <clears> also <throat> pretty transparent already. Yeah. Um uh but here's a very very um um I guess uh, cliched one. Um I think it would be it would probably Sorry, I'm not sure if you'll be able to get this one, but uh, Bill Gates. Oh, think, no, everyone's um, just
0: Bezos, so I'm excited to see Bill Gates. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so you could just email him. I'm sure it's just bill at microsoft.com. So, you know, <laughs> tell, tell, him, tell him I sent you, you know? <laughs> um Because yeah, exactly. I think, like, just, there's just so much he's seen. Um, I really wonder what that looks like from those eyes. And, and it's kind of like... Um, you know, when I used to talk to my grandfather, who who was 102 before he passed away, um, oh, wow, yeah, it's just like the 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 kind of what he's seen from his own eyes, from his early life to 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 a few so recently has been like it's been amazing, right? And so one of the pioneers of technology, if you if you ask Bill Gates and you gave him truth serum on like what he's seen and what he likes and what he doesn't, um, I would love to hear that. I I I I really uh I really would.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. Um well that was great. That was not the I really thought you were gonna say Bezos. So it was oh, yeah. <laughs> to uh, to be different.
1: No, I and I you know, I think uh, I've read the Everything store, so you get a good uh kind of bird's eye view of it. Um yeah. but uh but yeah, it's 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 interesting. And also just to round that out, I think um uh wasn't it uh I, it depends what true serum what form true serum comes in because didn't like see jobs say like bill gates was like one like one hit of e away from like uh or or one like one hit of lsd away from like true genius or something like that in one of his books or <laughs> one of his interviews so so i don't know so yeah so maybe you can invite him i'm not sure but <laughs> yeah
0: maybe maybe one day he'll be on 52 Pounders,
1: but we'll see it's
0: a very it's a very hot podcast so yeah <laughs> all right well Jay, it's been a pleasure having you thank you so much for being on my show
1: uh, thank you for having me.
0: All right, and that's a wrap on episode 25. Be sure to check out dot com and stay up to date with us on Twitter at 52founders. I'm your host, Krissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for our extended halfway special.